uh, actually started selling marijuana and cocaine in my community. And uh, that went on for quite a few years. Our relationship changed a little bit where, um, you know, it, uh, there were a lot of uh, drunken arguments, um, physical and verbal abuse. Uh, and, you know, we tried to live the life of a couple that had it all together and, uh, you know, had three great kids and, and all that. So it was a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a more of a poser type. You know, I looked like I had it all together on the outside, but I was actually dying on the inside. Well, you know, I knew I had big problems, but I wasn't ready to admit it to anyone. You know, I was physically, emotionally, and financially spent. Uh, my coworkers were starting to begin to notice my behavior and absences at work. And uh, my marriage was falling apart. Uh, I was close to losing my job without a college education. Uh, you know, I knew I, I couldn't lose this job. And, uh, you know, I really started getting sick and tired of being sick and tired. And uh, started often, you know, thinking about taking my life. You know, I would get out of my car in the morning to go to work in the garage and sit there and just wonder, you know, hungover and wondering, you know, what's going on? What, what, something needs to change. Have you ever made a New Year's resolution at the beginning of a new year just to go back to doing the same old things that you've always done? Do you ever get sick and tired of being sick and tired? Are there things in your life that you have tried to change, but it just seems impossible? Maybe these things have been in your life for years, maybe since you were a kid. Maybe these things have caused collateral damage in your life and you are now ready to look at whatever you need to do to make real change. Maybe you have made some changes, but it seems like something else has taken its place. Maybe you've just traded one addiction for another, one problem for another. How does a person break these chains of bondage and is there hope for permanent change? These are the topics that I want to discuss with our guest today as he shares his life change story with us. I'm Eric Hutchinson, and this is the If Nothing Changes podcast. So, hey, friend, why don't you introduce yourself and let the listeners know who you are? Hey, Eric. So great to be here today. So thank you so much for, for reaching out and, uh, and uh, connecting with me. I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with drugs, alcohol, and lust in my life. Uh, my name is Scott Kemp. Um, I currently serve as the North Central Regional Director for Celebrate Recovery, a uh, ministry, Christ-centered 12-step ministry that was started at Saddleback Church 30-some uh, years ago. And uh, grateful to be here with you today, man. So, Scott, thank you so much for agreeing to be on my podcast. We know a lot of the same people, and so it's really exciting to have you here, and I'm excited to hear your story. So why don't we start off uh, at every story has a beginning. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, where you're from, where you were born, and uh, a little bit about where you were raised with your family of origin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was actually born in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, um, my, uh, my folks, uh, were both, uh, state farm insurance employees, uh, for a lot of years. And, uh, my sister and I were both born out in Philadelphia. And then at a young age, I moved back here to actually normal Illinois, which is the twin city of Bloomington, Illinois. And, uh, that's, that's where it all started. I was raised here. So how many years are between you and your sister? Were you guys close growing up or, or not? Yeah. yeah two years, uh, between us, I think, uh, 
Uh, I think she really looked to me uh, to set examples for her at a young age. Uh, she's actually left-handed and sitting across the, the dinner table from me, I'm right-handed. And I think she learned, you know, to, to kind of mimic me. So she's the left-hander, but um, yeah, we were, we were close growing up. Well, that's good. Were you close to your mom and dad or not so much? Yeah. Uh, my dad was a tennis player and uh, growing up and uh, I learned to play. He taught me how to play and taught my sister how to play. So I was close to him in that way. Uh, probably closer to my mom emotionally, though. Um, she was the caretaker in the house and uh, she uh, um, uh, was a, a godly woman and uh, taught me a lot about Jesus at a young age. My mom was a devout Catholic, uh, never drank or smoked and uh, took us to church uh, every every week. Uh uh, my dad was Presbyterian, but later converted to Catholicism in his life. That's great. What was Scott like in school? Were you outgoing? Were you a little shy? Were you uh, confident in yourself, or not so much? Yeah, I was a little bit. I was a little bit rowdy. Um, I think I had you know, didn't know what it was back then, but I think I had a little case of ADHD in my life, and uh, was pretty active as a, as a young boy. Um, I had a couple surgeries when I was a young boy on my left eye. I had a lazy left eye I was born with, and uh, those uh, surgeries uh, forced me into wearing a little set of glasses with a patch over one eye. So I was, I was picked on pretty regularly in my neighborhood uh, as well as at school, and uh, it led to me being a little bit shy. I was kind of a scrawny kid, so it led to me being a little bit shy, but uh, actually pretty active you know, uh, physically. Did you feel confident in yourself? You know, at Celebrate Recovery, we talk about identity and what we believe about ourselves. Did you, were you confident in yourself or were you a little insecure? I mean, tell me about what you felt like. Who'd you feel like you were uh, growing up in school? Yeah, I, I think I was pretty, I was pretty active, but uh, at the same time, pretty shy. Um, um, I, uh, I struggled with self-confidence uh, for quite a while because of the teasing and, and, uh, uh, that came from schoolmates as well as uh, neighborhood kids uh, for the patch I had on one eye and uh, felt less than in my life. Um, so I think I, I was shy early on and uh, lacked that confidence I needed as a young boy. Um, and that led to acting out a little bit more, you know, acting out and being loud so I could attract attention, kind of a people pleaser. Uh, so that's kind of what it was like when in my early days. So as you got into adolescence and into high school, you know, sometimes we uh, we compensate and you mentioned, you know, being loud or whatever. Were you more of a rule follower uh, or were you more of a rebel as you got into high school? Well, you know, a little bit of both. I think, uh, you know, there's some good structure in my home and um, uh, order in my home. Um, uh, my mom wasn't a big punisher. That came more from my dad. But uh, mom was, uh, you know, very, very focused on keeping things in order, uh, kind of a perfectionist. And uh, that led to, you know, good order in my home growing up. And then I got into school, things started to change a little bit. And I started becoming a little bit more rebellious, mostly to draw attention to myself. And uh, you know, that, that led into junior high and uh, you know, introduction to, you know, drugs and alcohol at a young age. Uh, so that's kind of how things progressed uh, in my my younger years. So as you were in high school, I mean, you mentioned, you know, and I think that's a fairly common thing where we get introduced to some 
substances that maybe our parents wouldn't approve of or whatever. So would you ever, would you say that when you were in high school that any of those things became addictive or that you were dependent on any of those, or was it more just uh, social uh, drinking or social uh, activities where you participated in that, or did it start becoming a bad habit? Well, I, you know, I was introduced at a young age uh, to alcohol. Uh, my my dad let me sip on his drinks and mix, you know, mixed drinks and and, and beer uh, at a young age, and that led to a real fascination uh, to drugs. And in junior high, uh, started getting high on marijuana, uh, drinking a little bit more regularly, and I really had I had a fear of. Uh, living life on life's terms and uh, having a fear of intimacy around the opposite sex. And I feared not growing up to be the kind of, you know, the kind of son, the kind of husband and, and father that my, you know, my mom and dad wanted me to be. Um, again, raised in the Catholic church and, uh, um, you know, mom came from a big Catholic family and, you know, really uh, looked for me to be a good Catholic boy, especially around family and friends. Um, my father had a great job, uh, but he was quite passive. You know, I didn't hear him say, I love you very often. Um, usually kept his feelings to himself and, uh, he was a drinker and occasional cigar smoker. And I remember how, how mad it used to make my mom when I was young. So whenever you were in later high school, did you develop a relationship? You said you had a little bit of a, a shyness about, you know, the opposite sex. Or did you find a girlfriend while you were in high school? Did you have any close relationships there or or not so much? Yeah, not so much. Um, you know, I, I obviously was uh, fascinated by the opposite sex. And uh, uh, but I, um, you know, I, I developed a pornography addiction at a young age. Um, I had a neighbor that uh, had a huge porn collection that was displayed in his basement. And my, my dad would go over there and have drinks and smoke cigars with him. And uh, I would do my viewing, you know, of, uh, of, the, of the collection of pornography, which led to my own collection of pornography uh, when I got into junior high school and high school. Um, you know, I, I, one thing I did do is I, my dad traveled a lot with his job brought back different types and varieties of beer. And I started collecting the cans and bottles um, as just something to display and, and keep. And, uh, uh, you know, I ended up having probably one of the larger beer can collections in, in central Illinois. So, um, you know, I, alcohol became an idol to me pretty early in my life. So whenever, and I don't know much about the Catholic faith, I grew up in a different faith. So uh, tell me a little bit where, was there, because you were exposed to alcohol, your dad actually allowed you to drink a little bit, you had some of that exposure. Was there ever a uh, realization in your own mind that what you were doing was wrong? What about the, the pornography? I mean, you mentioned that, that you, you witnessed your dad, you know, uh, had his stash and that sort of thing. Did you say, oh, well, he does it, so it's probably okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. Or did you have some kind of uh, morality there that was saying, ah, I really probably shouldn't be doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I mean, what was your belief about all of that? Yeah, pretty much. You know, you know, I, I knew what I was doing wasn't uh, in line with what God wanted for me. Um, but I didn't have that relationship with Jesus Christ at a young age that that I really developed later on in my life. I, uh, once I got into high school, I fell away from the church, uh, stopped attending, uh, went through all the normal sacraments and events as a, a young Catholic, you know, going to First Communion and Confirmation and those events. But uh, when I got into high school, things kind of went awry, and I fell away from fell away from my my friends who were attending Catholic school and attending Catholic church. Um, but um, 
yeah, I knew the things I was doing didn't really align with what my parents wanted me to be doing or what, uh, you know, what God wanted me to be doing. And uh, that fascination with drugs really picked up when I got into high school and uh, led to uh, an arrest on school grounds when I was a young man in, in high school uh, for possession of, of marijuana. And uh, so that was kind of my my deal. I was into the party scene and uh, everything I did revolved around drinking and drugging. So were you uh, 18 or older or younger whenever you got in trouble with the law? I was a senior in high school and uh, was and we were, you know, we were getting uh, getting high or drunk in the in the mornings before school in the in the school parking lot. And, uh, you know, I, I got caught there and uh, did a little bit of time in jail. Um, but, uh, you know, after I got out, I realized I needed to be a little safer and smarter about, you know, where I was you know doing drugs or drinking. And and uh, uh, so had to change my lifestyle a little bit and uh, fell away from my high school friends pretty quickly. Um, and, uh, when I got out of high school, I, I started, uh, started, jumped into a, a corporate job and, uh, at a large corporate firm in our community and, uh, I fell away from my, my friends and met some new friends in this, uh, in this, uh, corporate world that had better drug connections than I had ever had. And, uh, those relationships led to a lot more trouble. So it doesn't sound like your stint in jail and the trouble that you got with the law really changed anything in your belief system. It more or less just said, hey, I need to be smarter about what I do. Uh, it doesn't seem like that that was a turning point for you. So uh, it sounds like you continued that on, but you didn't go to college, right? You went right into the workforce? Yep, that's correct. I didn't go to college and uh, jumped right into the workforce, um, you know, met older friends who had the great drug connections and uh, uh, actually started selling marijuana and cocaine in my community. And uh, that went on for quite a few years. Wow. So did you still stay to yourself or did you get involved uh, with a relationship at all? Yeah, I met uh, in my senior year, I met uh, who uh, a young lady who would become my first wife. And uh, we uh, moved in together after high school and we both were working and uh, doing a lot of partying. Um, we had an incident that happened uh, in our early years of our relationship. Uh, she got pregnant and uh, with twin babies and we lost those twins at five months. Um, drastic event uh, and probably affected her more than it did me. Um, she, uh, she stopped using pretty much altogether and I kept kind of kept going down my, my merry way. And uh, God was watching, though. A year later, uh, she got pregnant again and uh, had our first child uh, on uh, Mother's Day in 1983. So what, uh, you know, we talk a lot about character defects. We talk about baggage that we bring into our marriage. A lot of times it's from our past. It sounds to me like your first wife and you had some common ground in the drugs and the party scene, uh, but it sounds like that she had a little bit of a change of heart after losing the babies. Uh, did did you guys grow apart after that? Uh, tell me a little bit about what uh, what was going on in your dynamic through all of these things. Yeah, great, great question. Um, uh, she wasn't raised in church, and, uh, you know, we got along real well. She loved the party scene. I kind of introduced her to that. And uh, we did our thing for, for quite a few years. Uh, after losing the babies, her, her mindset changed a little bit. Uh, it wasn't about finding Jesus, but uh, she knew that if we wanted to have kids, that she needed to stay away from uh, the drinking and the drugging. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, 
our relationship changed a little bit where, um, you know, in, uh, there were a lot of uh, drunken arguments, um, physical and verbal abuse. And, uh, we, you know, we ended up having two more children uh, several years later. Uh, and, you know, we tried to live the life of a couple that had it all together and, uh, you know, had three great kids and, and all that. So it was a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a more of a poser type. You know, I looked like I had it all together on the outside, but I was actually dying on the inside. Um, lived in a nice home. I was making good money at my job and, and she worked part time and and stayed home most of the time and taking care of the kids, which was a great benefit for them as they grew up. Um, she was a good mom and, uh, uh, you know, just, uh, never got, I never got arrested for drunk driving or being under the influence, uh, with the law after that first stint in jail. Uh, you know, we, we bought new homes, drove nice cars, went on great vacations and really just tried to preserve the image of a, a good family man with a wife and, and three children. So did you implement Catholicism into your family? Uh, did you continue down the, you know, the way you grew up or did you, you know, did that happen? Did you introduce God to your children or not, or not so much? Yeah, we did, uh, in the Catholic faith. And, you know, I went to church a few times a year, um, to make an appearance and try to introduce my kids to really a religion I wasn't interested in. And, uh, like I said, it was, uh, just to make an appearance and uh, make it look like we were doing all the right things. But yeah, we raised all three children in the Catholic church. Uh, went through first communions and 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 so on, and then as we fell away from the church, of course they did too. So what was the? So I'm assuming, and I don't, I don't want to assume. Tell me how long were you guys married, and what led to the divorce, or what led? What were the events? What was the problem? When did things start falling apart during that first marriage? Yeah, it was really after after our third child. My son was born in 89, and uh, the next few years, um, you know, keeping up that image and approval, um, fell into financial crisis. Uh, bills were piling up. I was into doing some gambling on the side and a lot of lying and, and even infidelity in my marriage. You know, I struggled with uh, lustful pornography addiction and, and, uh, and actually manipulated my spouse into watching pornography with me just to spice up our dwindling sex life. Um, you know, a lot of unsuccessful sobriety attempts uh, became a little more regular and tried staying clean and sober, but it never lasted more than a few weeks. And, and uh, you know, still getting high and drinking before, during and, and after work. Uh, so it was it's got pretty ugly for a few years before uh, things went south. So what was the straw that broke the camel's back? Well, you know, I knew I had big problems, but I wasn't ready to admit it to anyone. You know, I was physically, emotionally, and financially spent. Uh, my coworkers were starting to begin to notice my behavior and absences at work. And uh, my marriage was falling apart. Uh, I was close to losing my job without a college education. Uh, you know, I knew I, I couldn't lose this job. And, uh, you know, I really started getting sick and tired of being sick and tired. And uh, started often, you know, thinking about taking my life. You know, I would get out of my car in the morning to go to work in the garage and sit there and just wonder, you know, hungover and wondering, you know, what's going on? What, what, something needs to change. Did your kids notice now? Cause your kids, your oldest kid was, had to be what, five to eight years old or something like that. Did your, did they notice that anything? And of course I know sometimes during that time period, you don't realize that your kids knows, but have you had conversations with them before? Did they know anything that was going on? Oh yeah, they they knew it was going on. They saw the fighting, they saw the anger, uh, they saw the the verbal and, and physical abuse at times. 
Um, and that carried over into them as well. I think I was rough with my kids a few times when they were younger and uh, kind of getting in the way, right, of what I was what I was all about. And that was the drinking and the drugging. And, uh, you know, I, I was a pretty faithful worker. I, I feel like I had a great work ethic and uh, tried to be uh, punctual at work all the time and, and keep things looking like everything was okay, right? But, uh, you know, my, my mom had taught me about uh, Jesus when I was young. And, you know, one morning in the, one morning in the garage, I uh, was sitting there in my car and, I, you know, I really believe that God was speaking to me that morning and said, something needs to change in your life, young man. And uh, my, my father-in-law, my wife's father, uh, was chronic alcoholic and he had spent some time in, in uh, treatment centers. And she suggested that maybe i I do that and check into a local treatment center. And I didn't, really didn't want to have anything to do with that, but I agreed to go um, check in and uh, spent, uh, I actually spent about 24 hours there detoxing and uh, talking to a, a man who convinced me to stay. And so I spent two or three weeks in treatment center. I was introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, found that, finally found true sobriety in my life. So when was that in your time period? Was that when you were married to your first wife and you had all your kids? Is that when you were in the garage and you you had that moment? Yeah, it was day after Christmas, 1993. I'll never forget it. And uh, that's the time I I took my last drink and my last drug. And, uh, you know, just recently celebrated 30 years of, of recovery from drug and alcohol abuse. So, you know, grateful to God um, that he spoke to me that, that morning. Um, you know, while I was in treatment, uh, it was right across the street. The treatment center was right across the street from the church that I went to and grew up in as a child. And, you know, I'd look out the windows and and see the priest standing on the steps and greeting everybody. And, uh, you know, I just I wondered if, um, you know, I just wondered if Jesus Christ was the real answer to my issues. So I carried that for a little while. You know, I looked out I looked out those windows uh, from the treatment center. When I got back out, my job was spared. I had a great boss who spared my job and uh, went back to work and started attending Alcoholics Anonymous on a regular basis, found a sponsor, uh, someone who uh, I had actually drank with before, and we had uh, we formed a great relationship. Um, and he was really him and his wife were really instrumental in helping my wife and me uh, to uh, to see the light. So what I'm curious, so you were still married whenever you went into treatment, and it sounds to me like you came out a changed man. It sounds like all of a sudden, you know, uh, God was in your life and you had a relationship with Christ. So what led to your divorce? I mean, you got divorced, right? Am I, am I making that assumption? No, you're, you're absolutely right. So, you know, I got out of treatment, went to 90 meetings in 90 days, and uh, after about a year of sobriety— um, my sponsor suggested I attend a, a men's spiritual retreat. It's, uh, retreat. it's called a, a Curcio, which is a, a short course in, in Christianity. And it was that weekend, uh, about a year after I got sober, that I turned my life over to Jesus Christ. And it was an incredible weekend for me and uh, gave my heart to him. And I really, you know, I really wanted to salvage my marriage. Um, you know, the words that I, that I heard, uh, in that that weekend retreat were were really inspirational to me and uh touched me pretty deeply that gratitude was was humbling and, and i knew at that moment my, my faith was real and that i and i earnestly believed that god existed you know i didn't have a relationship with jesus christ uh, i knew what god and i knew who god was i believed in a god 
but uh, didn't have that relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, that weekend was powerful for me. Uh, getting out of that weekend, then, uh, you know, went back into trying to salvage my marriage, uh, going to AA meetings on a regular basis. Um, you know, and there was some spiritual insight for, for my uh, for my wife as well. And uh, but she didn't grow like I did. And things slowly started to to disintegrate in, in our marriage. Um, you know, we weren't having all the drunken arguments and, and things like that going on, but we just kind of started going separate ways, you know, and and uh, uh, it got to a point where um, uh, we were experiencing some infidelity on her part and uh, it just came to a, came to a close in the late 90s. So I've been sober for about six or seven years before we we split. So did your wife agree with your sobriety? And I don't mean for you. Did she say, huh, well, it looks like Scott's life is changing. Um, did she ever take a look at her own sobriety and her own thing? Or was hers not really as bad as yours was? Yeah, I don't think hers was as bad as I was. And she did. She had, you know, after we had the loss of our twins, she slowed down on the drinking and drugging and eventually it just fell away from her life, you know. But, you know, coming out of that weekend and working my own pro program, I recognized that I'm, I was powerless over the, of the lives of others and, and those around me. You know, my, my newfound spirituality, I feel it was difficult for her to adjust to, difficult for my, my kids to adjust to. And as much as I wanted to salvage my marriage, um, you know, the damage was really done. Uh, but we spent some years uh, in counsel and uh, in prayer, and I had a lot of hope. I really wanted to salvage the marriage. But again, just powerless over her choices, and she decided to move out, and um, our 19-year marriage ended. So 19 years, that's a long time, um, yeah. and you guys split. Did the, you and her get custody? Which one got custody of the kids? Did she get custody? Did you get custody? Did you split the difference? I mean, what, how'd, that, how'd that work for your kids? Yeah, it was it was joint custody, and uh, you know I I I was the primary uh, custodian of the kids, and uh, so they were you know had one in high school, one one in junior high, and and one in grade school, and uh, you know we had visiting rights. We we you know we did it the right way, and uh, really tried to take care of the kids in the whole situation and make sure that they were you know they were attended to the right way. Um, so yeah, it was, it was difficult. It was, you know, and, and it was a couple difficult, difficult years after we split, uh, trying to manage the kids and help them understand what's going on in their lives and uh, what their mom and dad were doing. So tell me what happened after you got through the divorce and you, you got, you know, you guys have uh, joint custody of the kids. Things seem to be going, uh, right for you. You're still sober. Uh, so what happened next in your life? You're wearing a celebrate recovery house and you mentioned that several times, you know, what led into, into that? Well, you know, I, uh, I was a single father, you know, trying to raise three kids and, and wondering if I'd ever be in a healthy, loving relationship ever again in my life. And, you know, God, uh, I just prayed that God would reveal something to me, you know, and I prayed for my ex, you know, that uh, she would find, uh, find, you know, healing and, and, and find herself in her life. Pray for my kids, obviously. But, um, you know, I prayed that God would reveal something to me, and he did. I met a, a young lady um, who was divorced uh, at my place of work. Uh, she was working for a, a woman who was a, a childhood uh, neighbor of mine and uh, knew me and my family. And uh, she introduced us in a little matchmaking scheme, which neither one of us really liked so much. Uh, but she was a divorcee with a couple young kids and, and she sang in the choir at her church. And, 
and she really had she had had she had a relationship with Christ that I deeply admired. And you know, I I began to court her, and we kept the relationship pure. Um, you know, I had struggled with pornography most of my life, and uh, I knew that I needed to keep this relationship pure in my recovery. Uh, and uh, you know, we kept that we kept it we did it the right way. And uh, uh, but it was difficult for me, you know, considering the sexual dysfunction I struggled with in my previous marriage, and. Uh, still dabbling in pornography a little bit, and uh, but God knew and He approved of our relationship. And I think uh, you know we courted for over a year, and then we were married uh, in uh, the backyard of a little a home that we had purchased, uh, uh, and moved our kids all all our kids in together. So she had a couple young kids that were younger than my kids, and uh, we all moved in together. And <laughs> that was uh, that was an interesting interesting time. We had a big old Victorian home that we all moved into, and so the kids had their privacy to some degree, had their own rooms, uh, but. Uh, you know, there was uh, a lot of dysfunction in our in in my previous marriage and in hers as well, and our former spouses. Uh, you know, and and trying to raise a blended family. Uh, you know, just uh, we struggled, we struggled, and meanwhile, I was secretly dabbling in pornography, and and she didn't know that. Uh, you know, and I'm I'm so grateful that God had the had the the power to help me recover that part of my life. Um, I began attending her church and, and became a member, uh, charismatic church, Assemblies of God church, uh, totally different dynamic than what I experienced in the Catholic church. Um, but uh, a couple years into our marriage, uh, that church, attending that church, uh, the associate pastor asked if I'd heard, uh, he knew of my recovery background, asked if I had ever heard of a program called Celebrate Recovery. And I said, no. And he handed me the startup kit. So I, uh, I immediately was curious, you know, I was already involved in prison ministry and Bible studies in our home uh, with my, my new spouse. Um, but God kept leading me to check out this ministry. And uh, I went to my first Celebrate Recovery meeting in a, in a uh, community not too far from, from Bloomington Normal. And uh, I felt, I knew as soon as I walked in, I felt at home. You know, the, uh, when I attended my first men's open share group at Celebrate Recovery, the leader introduced himself as a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with drugs, alcohol, and lust, you know, just like me. And I felt home. Felt, I really felt at home. So, you know, the rest of the men introduced themselves at that first meeting, and I realized that, um, you know, their identity was in Jesus Christ first, not in, uh, you know, the hurt, hang-up, or habit that they struggled with. Um, and that, that meant a lot to me. And, uh, you know, I'd been introducing myself as an alcoholic and addict for many years and Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, and even some time in the Al-Anon program for the families of alcoholics. Um, but now I was introducing myself as a believer in Jesus Christ, the one and only true higher power, Jesus Christ. And I knew this ministry was right for me and I wanted to introduce it to my church. So would you say you either traded addictions a little bit or that you leaned more into the pornography after you were free from the drugs and alcohol? Yeah, certainly. I think I leaned into that more. That was my secret. Um, you know, eventually I revealed it to my wife. Um, huh, funny how it all, all took place, but um, I realized uh, when I started working a Celebrate Recovery program that I needed to admit this. You know, James 5.16 is a huge verse for me. It's not a life verse, but it's... Uh, it's right up there. And uh, I think uh, when we admit our sins to each other and pray for each other, it's amazing how God uses us. 
So I'd, I'd learned how to admit my sins, uh, not so much my use of alcohol and drugs and the life that I was sharing uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous, but in Celebrate Recovery, I, I, I recognized the sin. And when I admitted that, I, I immediately found some healing. I, I, um, I was admitting it in the small groups to the other men, uh, but I wasn't admitting it to my wife. And when I did, uh, my life started to change. And I actually got baptized at this new church. Uh, uh, and uh, this, um, you know, submersion underwater and coming out a new man. Um, you know, I admitted in front of the congregation that I'd struggle with pornography and that and and acting out uh, with lust and, and masturbation. And, and uh, uh, that was huge for me that admit, you know, when admitting that and getting baptized over that to make that change, that 180 degree change of not looking at pornography anymore and acting out on it uh, was huge for me. And that was the end of it for me. Uh, that was in 2005, I think, um, after several years of, of marriage and new marriage. And uh, uh, the rest is the rest is history. But, you know, I still struggle with lust today. And it's not just for, you know, looking at other women or objectifying women and, uh, you know, looking at women the wrong way. Uh, I have to remember that that Christ brought a beautiful woman into my life that I need to keep my focus on today. Um, but uh, I still struggle with lust at times over other things too, besides you know uh, uh, my sexual intimacy or my sexual uh, identity. But uh, uh, lusting over things, you know, material things, lusting over power, uh, pride, all those things. Um, but uh, God knows, and He He helps me on a daily basis to take care of that. You know, it's all about repenting every day. You know, repenting every day to the Lord for what 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 I'm doing, what I've said, or what I'm thinking that doesn't align up with His Word. Uh, so important for me today. Was there any other verses that really uh, stuck out to you that was an inspiration for you? Yeah, you know, I love I love the Book of Hebrews. Um, uh, chapter 11, verse 6 talks about anyone who, who comes to him must believe that he exists, and then he rewards those that earnestly seek him. You know, I, I have to seek him every day, uh, whether staying in the Word or doing podcasts and sharing my story or sharing my story at Celebrate Recovery Groups. Uh, we have a couple's testimony that we do around the around the region. And uh, in fact, we're, we're going to be up in Chicago this weekend giving our couple's testimony at a, a Celebrate Recovery that's celebrating 20 years of, of CR. So, you know, those are the things that I need to do on a regular basis. Um, and, and he rewards us. His, his grace is incredible uh, as we stay more connected to him and, and living for him. So, Scott, you have experienced life change, and sometimes the perception is that after life change, everything is cake and cookies with no problems ever again. Has that been your experience, or does life throw you a curveball every now and then? So, you know, I think uh, one of the things that my wife and I both realized today, her name is Veronica, by the way, um, Veronica and I have had some tough losses here in the last uh, year and a half. Um, I had lost my both my parents years ago. Uh, my father passed of Parkinson's disease in 2009. My mom had a stroke in 2003. She's been gone a long time um, and passed. But, um, you know, death, Jesus conquered death. And uh, today when we have losses in our lives, we, uh, we have found that we're we're managing those better than we ever have because we have a, a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, Veronica lost a, a sister about a year and a half ago to uh, uh, undiagnosed lung disease. Um, I lost my my sponsor, my Celebrate Recovery sponsor, last year on Christmas Day. That's 2022, and uh, we so we've we've both struggled with grief. 
uh, over the last uh, year and a half. And uh, grief is a funny thing. And uh, I had never experienced, I never experienced it like when I lost my parents. Uh, but when we lose those people that are really close to you, that know everything about us, you know, my mom and dad didn't know everything about me. You know, I wasn't honest with them about everything going on in my head and my activities. But uh, when you lose people that are really close to you, that really know you um, for who you are, not what you are, um, that's tough. And we've so we've both uh, had a, a season of grief that we're working through together, talking to each other about it, expressing our feelings to each other about it. And uh, I just want people to know out there that, uh, you know, grief, grief can be handled a whole lot differently uh, uh, when we know Jesus today. And I'm grateful for that. It's really helped us both through this, this time. So I've got one question that I want you to answer. What would that one message be to the person that realizes they're going the wrong direction in their life? What would that, what would that message be that you would say, hey, this is, this is my recommendation to you? Well, that's really that's a really good question. Um, you know, I'm all about self care today. You know, the Lord gives us a couple great commandments, right? Uh, to love the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul. Uh, but then to love others like we love ourselves. I always struggled with that that scripture in Matthew. Um, but I think today, if, if I know that if I don't take care of myself, if I'm not right in my life, right here, first and foremost, I'm no good to anybody else. And uh, when I, uh, it may sound a little bit selfish, but recovery is that way. If I don't take care of me the best way I can to live my life for my Lord Jesus Christ, uh, I'm no good to my wife. I'm no good to my kids. I can't set the example that I need to set for others in my life and potentially lead them to Jesus Christ. Uh, so I think, um, you know, it's, 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 it's about taking care of me first and foremost uh, so that I can bring the best Scott Kemp to my ministry, my church, my family, uh, my wife, uh, my kids, uh, to set the best example I can. Scott, thanks so much for sharing your story with us. Hey, if you are listening today and you've been struggling with issues in your life, have these issues been with you a long time? Maybe since you were a kid. Maybe these issues are a hurt in your life, a bad habit or maybe just some character defects that you need a higher power to change. Maybe you've never taken the time to focus on these issues in your life so that you can experience true life change. As Scott said, self-care is so important. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Are you ready for a course change in your life? Change is possible, but if nothing changes, nothing changes. See you next time.